The body of an Indigenous woman is found at a Winnipeg dump, the fourth or possibly fifth in the past year. Van Du is calling out plans to dismantle a downtown encampment in Vancouver as people have nowhere to go. Sogneen First Nation wins claim over valuable part of beachfront land. Galen Weston gets massive rays and scientists say that they've discovered radio signals from a faraway planet. Good morning. It is Wednesday, April 5th. I'm Nora and here are your headlines. We start this morning in Winnipeg, where the body of Linda Mary Beardy was found at the Brady Road landfill in Winnipeg's South End. She was 33, a mother, and from Lake St. Martin, Manitoba, reports APTN's Kathleen Martins. The death is being considered suspicious, said police, but they do not think that her case is connected to the serial killer who was charged in November for having murdered four Indigenous women. Three of the women he killed, Rebecca Contois, Morgan Harris, and Mercedes Myron, were found in landfills. Rebecca's body was found at the Brady Road site. The remains of the fourth woman were never found, and that prompted many families and supporters to call for massive searches within landfill sites. Police told journalists at a press conference that Brady hadn't been reported missing and that they don't know where she was when she died or how. The CBC talked to Trevor Prince, the chief of Sandy Bay Ojibwe First Nation, who knew Beardy. They had met 15 years ago, and she had been the partner of a friend who has also since died. The two of them had children together. Family members of some of the women whose bodies were found in the landfills have been calling for police to search both landfill sites for more remains. A vigil has been kept outside the Brady landfill to make sure that journalists continue to pay attention to this crisis. Just last week, another death of a 33-year-old was declared a homicide. Tremaine Traverse was found dead on March 9th at the Manwin Hotel on Main Street in Winnipeg. This is just absolutely devastating news, and my heart goes out to everyone in Winnipeg who's affected by it. Now to Vancouver, where the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, or VANDU, got their hands on documents that show that the city intends to escalate the removal of tents and other structures on East Hastings Street. Here's how CBC describes the plan from the documents. Quote, engineering crews supported by Vancouver police would, quote, no longer disengage when tensions rise or protesters advocates become too disruptive, which signals an escalation in approach in advance of a larger event. The second stage would see a Vancouver police led operation to remove all remaining structures in the high risk sites and involve significantly larger engineering and VPD staff deployment. And the goal is to complete in one day, but resourcing for two, according to the documents, unquote. Mayor of Vancouver, Ken Sim, said that city staff are recommending removal of the tents and structures. He said that, quote unquote, entrenched encampments aren't, quote unquote, acceptable, and that he is going to look for, quote unquote, empathetic ways to get people off the street. The article doesn't mention what Sim plans to actually do about the lack of affordable, stable and quality housing. Instead, it talks about a rise in crime, how women feel unsafe around the encampment and how there's been sexual violence linked to it. It mentions that the city staff started removing installations, but didn't give people whose homes they were destroying anywhere to go. The Thais, Andrew McLeod, has just published an article that is questioning the B.C. government's plan to build 114,000 new homes in 10 years. He writes, quote, whether the B.C. government is on track to deliver its promise 
depends on what is counted and how the word build is understood. Now that is a great line. Basically, the promised new residences are not going to all be newly built. As McLeod explains, quote, in other words, almost half of the 74,668 units the government claims to have been added to the date are, quote unquote, policy created rather than newly built homes. That just means that homes are already existing and are being reclassified or repurposed or something. And of course, when the NDP talks about new homes, they're never talking about homes for the poorest people. Those are usually stashed away in other policy proposals outside of the overall housing proposals, if they exist at all, because new houses are always aimed at the middle class. So if these folks are evicted from their encampment, as Van Du activists have pointed out, where are they supposed to go? Before we leave the realm of local news, I want to share some good news with you all this morning. The Saugeen First Nation has just been determined to be the rightful owners of a strip of shoreline at Sable Beach in Ontario. If you've never been to Sable Beach, it's absolutely gorgeous. And as a result, the stretch of about 2.5 kilometers is very valuable. The ownership was cemented thanks to an Ontario Superior Court judge who was making a decision on a land claim that dates back to 1995. Or it dates back way further than that, but the court case goes back to 95. CTV News' Scott Miller reports the decision is a quote-unquote landmark decision and quotes Chief Conrad Ritchie saying, quote, Simply put, the court has confirmed the entire beach belongs to the Saugeen First Nation and always has. The court has also ruled that the federal government violated our rights under Treaty 72 by failing to preserve the entirety of our reserve after we signed the treaty in 1854. The town of South Bruce Peninsula claimed that they owned the stretch of beach and fought the claim for decades. They turned down a mediated settlement in 2014. Miller talked to a business owner near the beach named Tom Laforme, who said that he thought that justice had been served. The beach is free to access, but currently charges people $30 to park. That raises nearly $1 million every summer. The town of South Bruce Peninsula has the right to appeal, but has not decided whether or not it will. This stretch of Sobel Beach welcomes more than 400,000 tourists every summer. There is another court proceeding that will determine if any damages are owned to the Saugeen First Nation for the Crown having broken the 1854 treaty. That treaty had kept the shoreline in the stewardship of the Saugeen First Nation, so fingers crossed that they also get damages. Now to news from the Department of Greed is Good, actually. One of Canada's richest men is about to get even more rich. In an article for the Globe and Mail, Susan Krichinski-Robertson and David Milstead report that Galen Weston was given a massive raise in 2022. A massive raise? What does that mean? Oh, about $1.2 million. His total pay for 2022, you know, that year where you were going to the grocery store, paying way more and getting way less in his stores, he made $11.79 million. What is even funnier is this. The increase was given to him after consultants who were hired by the company his family owns determined that he wasn't being paid enough. Other senior executives made this. Richard Dufresne, who's the CFO at George Weston Holdings, made $6.73 million. That was up. And Robert Sawyer, the chief operating officer of Loblaw, made $9.36 million in 2022. That was up from $7.52 million the prior year. So more than $2 million more. The article then goes into some whining about how the CEO of Metro, Eric Laflèche, is not among Canada's top 100 paid CEOs. That guy makes $5.36 million. And the head of Canadian Tire, Greg Hicks, 
I know the jokes are at themselves. He made $6.49 million last year, which was down super slightly from 2021. Folks, these people are the reason why minimum wage is so low, why you pay so much for life's essentials, and why we are not funding social services enough. Their taxes are far too low, and they love their money far too much. Until we figure out a way to separate some of these people from their money, things will continue to get worse. And because the news right now seems so overwhelmingly sad and bad and infuriating, though seriously do make a point to get to Sable Beach this summer if you can, I want to leave you with this. From the UK Independent, researchers have found a quote-unquote coherent radio signal coming from a faraway planet. The signal indicates that this planet might have its own magnetic field and therefore might have life on it. Having a magnetic field is critical to life, as the article explains, quote, on Earth, our magnetic field helps protect us from the high energy particles and plasma that are blasted from the sun. As such, any alien life is likely to depend on being protected in a similar field. The planet is YZ SETI B. It orbits a star about 12 light years away. Only 12, eh? And is sending a repeated radio signal from the star seeming to be affected by the planet. Sebastian Pineda, an astrophysicist at the University of Colorado, explains that the radio emission is actually the aurora on the star. In the way that the northern lights happen when high energy particles from the sun interact with our atmosphere, that's what these radio signals are too. Yeah, they're not like shortwave radio or FM radio or us like picking up their culture or anything like that. The discovery was published in Nature Astronomy. Those are your headlines for Wednesday, April 5th. I'm Nora. I'm hoping that spring is springing wherever you are in Canada. It's not exactly sprung here yet, but I know it's on its way. Have a great Wednesday.